2 Samuel 11 and 12 contains one of the most heartbreaking stories in all of the Old Testament. David had been king over Israel for about 13 years. Things were going pretty well for God's people for a change. They were finally experiencing peace after a time of civil war between Israel and Judah. And many of God's promises for his people were being fulfilled. When we think of David, we typically picture him as a shepherd, a poet, a giant killer, a king, an ancestor of Jesus, and a man after God's own heart. Without a doubt, he was one of the greatest servants of God in the Old Testament. But alongside that list stands another. Betrayer, liar, adulterer, and murderer. These descriptions or characteristics are part of David's story as well. Although God kept his word, and David had been obedient to what God had called him to do up to this point, David's personal life was about to become entangled in sin. It was spring, the time of year when kings typically went off to war with their armies. But instead of fighting alongside his men as they took on the Ammonites, David decided to stay behind in Jerusalem. In doing so, he abandoned part of his responsibilities as king. One evening, David decided to take a stroll around the rooftop of his palace. As he was walking, he noticed a beautiful woman bathing off in the distance. He sent one of his servants to find out who she was. After learning that her name was Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite and one of David's own men, he sent one of his messengers to bring her to him. David ended up committing adultery with her, and after some time, he learned that she was pregnant. Uriah was away at war, so David sent the order for him to return home. Instead of coming clean about what had happened, David told Uriah to go home so that he could spend time with his wife. I'm going to keep things PG today, but I think we all know what that means. Refusing to go home, Uriah decided to sleep at the entrance of the palace with all the servants. And when asked why he didn't go home to be with his wife, this was his response. The ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents, and Joab and my master's men are camping in the open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear that I would never do such a thing. David was trying to cover up his sin, but Uriah didn't play into his plan. All of the other soldiers were still away from their families, putting their lives on the line in battle. Uriah saw no need for special treatment, especially when everyone else was so far from home. He stayed in Jerusalem one more day, and then David sent him back to the front lines. The next morning, David wrote a letter to Uriah's superior officer, Joab, telling him to put Uriah on the front lines where the fighting was fiercest. When the men of the city came out to fight, some of David's men were killed, including Uriah. Joab sent David a detailed account about what had happened. When Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, heard the news, she was heartbroken. The Bible says she mourned for her husband. After about seven days, which was the typical amount of time that people were given to mourn the loss of a loved one, it's not very long, David brought Bathsheba to his house, married her, and she gave birth to a son. The very last verse in 2 Samuel 11 says, But the Lord was displeased with what David had done. God ended up sending one of his prophets, a guy by the name of Nathan, to confront David about what he had done. And this is part of the conversation that happened between Nathan and David. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1-7 through 7 says, The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. 
The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. When David heard this, he burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Nathan fearlessly but carefully confronted David about what he had done. Sometimes when we don't recognize the sin in our own lives, God will use other people to confront us about it. When done right, this is called accountability. Nathan didn't want to embarrass David or draw attention to what he had done. He wanted him to recognize the severity of his actions and for him to turn back to God. You know, previously, God had delivered David from King Saul who wanted to kill him. He'd also anointed David king over Israel. The Bible tells us that if all of this would not have been enough for David, God would have given him more. Instead of keeping his eyes focused on God, he desired and took something or someone who wasn't his. He committed adultery with a married woman, had her husband killed on the battlefield, and then he hid his sin from everyone until he was confronted about it. There are always consequences to our actions, whether good or bad. And David ended up having to live with the consequences of his choices. He was told that his family would experience tragedy. The word the Bible uses there is calamity. He was told that his wives would give themselves to other men, and they would do this out in the open in public. He was told that he and Bathsheba's son would die. After hearing all of this, David's response was one of guilt. It was one of shame and ultimately repentance. He recognized that he had made some terrible decisions, that he'd have to live with the consequences of those decisions, and that only God could give him mercy, grace, forgiveness, a clean heart, and set him back on the right track. Today, we're going to continue our series, Summer in the Psalms, by looking at Psalm 51. This is one of those rare psalms where we have an exact context in which it was written. All of the guilt and pain that David kept locked up inside because of his affair with Bathsheba was fleshed out in this psalm. Matt Stafford, who's the professor of worship and psalms at Ozark Christian College, had this to say about this psalm. Like Arthur Dimsdale in Hawthorne's Scarlet Letter, David was tormented internally and did not find rest until he came clean with his crimes. Psalm 51 is a psalm of repentance. This is David's plea for mercy grace, forgiveness, and cleansing from what he had done. And through his example, we're given a front row seat to God's answer to sin and what a biblical response to sin should look like in our own lives. I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Psalm 51 as I read aloud. Psalm 51, verses 1 through 17. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. 
so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In this psalm, David responded to the sin in his life through three requests. These three requests give us an example to follow. If you're taking notes, request number one, cleanse me. David was crying out to God that he would cleanse him. We read about this in Psalm 51, verses 1 through 7. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Growing up, I loved to play outside with my friends. I lived in a neighborhood that had a dozen other kids who were around my age. During the summer, I would get on my bike and just go until it was time to come inside for dinner. I spent a lot of time riding bikes, skateboarding, and playing sports. But the one thing that I didn't really like doing was playing in the sprinkler. Now hear me out because I know a lot of kids love this. I'm not one for getting dirty outside. And every time my friends wanted to play in the sprinkler, I just knew that we were about to get dirty. When you run through the water, the grass and dirt inevitably get stuck to your skin. I think that's absolutely the worst feeling in the world. To this day, I don't like feeling dirty. Friends, what dirt is to the body, sin is to the heart. So it was right for David to feel dirty or defiled because of what he had done. In this first section of scripture, David used three Hebrew words for sin to communicate the severity of what he had done. He used the words transgressions, iniquity, and sin. When David said, blot out my transgressions, he was confessing that he had deliberately rebelled against God. This wasn't an accident. It was a premeditated choice on his part. And he was asking God to completely obliterate the record of what he had done. That phrase, blot out my transgressions, that's what that means. It's kind of like looking at words in a book. If you were able to completely erase those words, that's the picture that we're given. To blot something out means to completely obliterate the record of something. When he said, wash away all my iniquity, he was praying that God would cleanse his heart. 
The phrase wash away is used in other places in the Bible when someone washed and changed their clothing. In the Jewish society of that day, to wash and change your clothes marked a new beginning in life. He's recognizing that only God could wash away the dirt and the stains from his heart and give him a new start. Finally, when he said, cleanse me from my sin, he was saying, make me pure again. That phrase, cleanse me, is also used in the Bible when someone purified metals or when a leper was healed from their disease. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. David had fallen short. He had missed the mark. And he was now living with the guilt and the pain of what he had done. He knew that God was the only one who could completely erase the record of his sins. He's the only one who could cleanse his heart and put his life back on track. I think it's significant that David began this psalm by turning to God. He didn't make excuses for what he had done, but instead made up his mind to fully rely on God for forgiveness and healing. Friends, today, as believers, we find our forgiveness and cleansing and healing in the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-9 through 9, highlights this truth so clearly. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. David's first request was for God to cleanse him, to forgive him, erase the record of what he had done, cleanse his heart, and set him back on the right track. Instead of making excuses for what he had done or blaming other people, he owned his mistakes. He took them to God. He trusted that God would do what only he can do. What a reminder for us today that we too can come to Jesus in the exact same way. God's word tells us that if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Request number two, if you're taking notes, restore me. David cried out to God that he would restore his life. We read about this in Psalm 51, verses eight through 12. David wrote, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you've crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. The house that I grew up in from kindergarten through seventh grade had a second story balcony overlooking the street in front of the house. When I was in the fifth or sixth grade, I decided to sit on the balcony with my slingshot and a bag full of rocks. Our neighbor directly across the street had left their garage door open and the light was off, so I couldn't really see inside the garage. I shot one rock after another into their garage, only to find out later that their two cars were still parked inside. I kept this to myself until we had some angry neighbors knock on our front door to let us know that the back windows of both of their cars had been completely shattered. I was the only one with a slingshot and a room on the second floor, so it didn't take long for my parents to figure out who was at fault. 
Now, I still remember what this felt like. I felt terrible. I was sick to my stomach. I was embarrassed. I didn't want to face the music. I spent the rest of the summer mowing their lawn to help pay for the broken windows. Why do I tell you this? David's sin had affected his whole person. He wrote about how it affected his mind, his bones, his heart, his spirit, his hands and lips. And this is what sin does to us. It affects the whole person. David knew this. So he asked God for more than cleansing. He, he wanted his entire being to be restored so that he could serve God with his whole life. He wanted to experience God's joy again. He wanted to feel near to God. He wanted a renewed desire to live for God. Verse 10 is the key verse in Psalm 51. It highlights what David was really experiencing and how he wanted to turn back to God. He said, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew, restore a steadfast spirit within me. Commenting on this verse, Warren Wearsby wrote, David knew that the inner person, the heart, was the source of his trouble as well as the seat of his joy and blessing. He was incapable of changing his own heart. Only God could work the miracle. God gave the Holy Spirit to David when Samuel anointed him as the future king of Israel. And David didn't want to lose the blessing and help of God's spirit, which is exactly what happened to King Saul when he turned away from God. Today, the Holy Spirit lives inside every person who is saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. And thankfully, John 14 verse 15 tells us that the Holy Spirit will never leave the person who is truly saved. But we can grieve the Holy Spirit and lose our effectiveness in ministry. It's possible to damage your witness to the point that you're no longer an effective witness for Jesus. David didn't want this in his life. His second request highlights an important truth. And that truth is, it's not enough to simply confess our sins and experience God's forgiveness and cleansing. We also need to allow God to renew us or restore us from within so that we can walk in step with the Spirit, not giving in to the same temptations over and over again. God restored David's heart, and he does the exact same thing for people today. Request number three, if you're taking notes, use me. David cried out to God that he would use his life again. Psalm 51, verses 13 through 17 says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, so that sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So David cried out to God that he would cleanse him, forgive him, erase the record of what he had done, cleanse his heart and set him back on the right track. He cried out to God that he would restore his heart, that David would once again experience his joy, feel near to him and have a renewed desire to live for God. In this last section of scripture, we see David asking God to use his life for his purposes again. In the college press commentary, Edward Tesh and Walter Zorn wrote this about these verses. When a soul destined to ruin because of sin has been redeemed, cleansed, turned around and given new life, his experience will be an encouragement to others to trust in God's saving power and they too 
will turn to God. David knew that his past mistakes did not have to define his future. God could get a hold of his life using the good, the bad, and the ugly as part of his testimony moving forward. David's identity was not rooted in his failures. His identity was rooted in the Lord. David was a man after God's own heart, not because he was perfect. You know, he was far from it, but because he had an unchanging belief in the faithful and forgiving nature of God. David was a sinner by nature and by choice, but he was always quick to recognize what he had done, and he always turned to God for help. His confessions were always from the heart, and his repentance was genuine. Because of this, God was able to get a hold of his life and continue to use him in a big way. David's name is even listed in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. And what's interesting about this list is that it's made up of a bunch of imperfect people. All of these people missed the mark at some point in their lives. But it's also a list made up of people who recognized that we serve a perfect God. A God whose mercies are new every single day. There's a lot more that we could talk about from Psalm 51. We're really only scratching the surface. But today we can be reminded that we can always turn to God regardless of what we've done. Regardless of what's happened in our lives. We can be reminded that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. God is in the business of restoring hearts so that we can be fully devoted followers of Jesus, living for him, using the gifts that he's given us to serve him as kingdom workers. He's able to use our lives for his glory, regardless of what we've done in the past. If I can echo this truth one more time, friends, your past does not have to define your future. In Jesus, there is hope, forgiveness, healing, restoration, and purpose. Your past does not have to define your future. I want to leave you with two verses from Romans chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. It says, God's law was given so that people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, Now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Psalm 51 is a psalm of repentance. We see the honest heart of a broken man crying out to God, cleanse me, restore me, and use me. But it's ultimately a psalm of mercy and grace, revealing the unchanging nature of a perfectly faithful and good God. 